You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. First of all, again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Thank you for all you do. Sometimes it seems like it goes unnoticed, but it doesn't. We're so thankful for all you do, but most importantly for, for who you are. And uh, so, happy Mother's Day, moms. Um, yeah. And uh, for everyone else, I'm also uh, overjoyed and humbled to be worshiping and learning with you this morning as well. Of course, we're going to be uh, continuing our sermon series through the letter to the Galatians, which is all about living in the freedom of Christ, uh, that we have freedom through Christ, and we get to live in that freedom and uh, what that looks like. And... Um, if I can be honest, which I, I always try to be, um, there's a dog hair on here. I have a dog. Her hair gets everywhere. And that's what I wanted to be honest about. <laughs> For, no, what I actually wanted to be honest about was that I was really tempted to skip right over the verse that we're going to be going through today. Um, I, I really wanted to skip it. <laughs> because in this day and age, it's obvious that people are suspicious of pastors and religious teachers. Rightly so, because many have abused their position. Many have deceived their flock for, for money or power or sex or prestige or the list goes on, right? So it's natural that, that red flags and walls would go up whenever a pastor preaches on anything that might benefit themselves directly. So with that in mind, and also truthfully, because I don't want to sound like I'm needy or I want your pity or anything like that, I was, I was tempted to skip the verse for today, the, the next verse in Galatians, pr- precisely because it deals with this topic of the church's responsibility to their pastor. Uh, but in the end, my desire to be faithful to the word won out. So we're not going to skip it. We're just going to get really awkward this morning. And we're going to read it, and hopefully we'll learn from it. And uh, so I would ask all of you then to just open your hearts to this message, knowing that it comes, like, you guys know me, right? It it doesn't come from a place of me selfishly trying to get more from you or because I'm discontent or, or, or dissatisfied or whatever. There's no hidden agenda here. This is just the next verse in Galatians. Um, or rather, we're going to go through it so that we can have a deeper understanding of how we're called to live for Jesus in the way we relate, support, and serve one another within the church community. So let's get in, into it then. Turn with me now to Galatians 6, verse 6. I'm just going to be reading through one verse. Galatians 6, verse 6. If there was another 6, that would be bad. There's only two, so we're good. Galatians 6, verse 6. All right. It says, Let the one... Who is taught the word, share all good things with the one who teaches. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In conclusion, then, share your money with me. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. Don't get triggered, okay? (laughs) For real, though. This, this verse isn't that straightforward anyways, okay? In fact, in my study, I found that while most commentators believe this verse could be about financially and, and practically supporting those 
who teach the word. There's also an argument that it's about spiritual and mutual fellowship in the word as well. So, so personally, I think it should be about um, sharing with your pastors a portion of those baked goods and delicious entrees that some of you make and keep posting on Instagram. You should probably share those. Um, that's what this is about. Actually, I probably don't need that. You could share your gym memberships with me, maybe. That, that would probably be a lot better. Um, anyways, for real, all kidding aside, we're going to spend the next little bit trying to figure out what this verse actually means when it says, those who are taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches it. So first of all, we need context. We always need context. Context is good. Context is our friend. If we take verses out of context, we usually use and, and abuse them, right? So context. The context of Galatians is this. Paul's reminding the Galatian church that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who bore the weight of our sin and our shame for us at the cross, so through him, we've been set free from the weight of sin, set free from the desires of the flesh, and from the confines and curse of the law. So ultimately, we've been set free and filled with his spirit to live the way we were created to live in relationship with the holy God. Okay, that's... that's the context of, of the whole letter, okay? So, and at the end of Galatians 5, you might remember that, that Paul tells us what it looks like to live in the power of the Spirit. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, 22, 23, let's, let's read that so we can, we can remember what it says. So it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So he's saying that this is what our lives look like as we, as we live in the power of the Spirit and the freedom of Christ. And so from there, and because the Galatian church had become disunited by false teachers, Paul goes on to explain to the Galatians some, some practical ways in which the fruit of the Spirit should be reflected and produced within the body of Christ. And that's what that's Galatians 6. And, and, and he does this by laying out some mutual and personal responsibilities. In fact, he follows a pattern. He lays out our mutual responsibilities to each other. And then uh, on the same topic, he, he says, here's our personal responsibilities in the area as well. So he follows that, that pattern three times, actually, throughout Galatians 6. So in the first five chapters, we talked about our mutual responsibility to each other and a personal responsibility. We, we talked about how we... Um, we're called as Christians to restore those who are in sin, and we do that by helping carry their burdens because it's too much to carry on their own. So that's our mutual responsibility to each other. But in the same way, we're also reminded to take ownership of our own burdens and responsibilities, right? To carry our own load instead of, you know, maybe shuffling them onto others or comparing ourselves with others, which only causes pride or envy. And so it, it's within this context where we find ourselves now in verse 6. So when Paul writes, those who are taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches it. So within the context of what Paul's teaching, it's almost as if Paul's saying that though we're called to, to carry our own individual burdens and callings, right? there's an exception or rather an addendum to the rule when it comes to the student and teacher relationship. 
and that teachers are the exception, he seems to be implying, because they're not only responsible for carrying their own load, but also for the well-being of everyone they're shepherding. In light of that, Paul seems to be saying then that, that those who are taught the word need to offset the burden of those who teach them by sharing in all that's good. Practically speaking, it's a mutually beneficial relationship between the two parties, which ensures that the teacher can continue to to study and teach so that the student can continue to learn and mature. Philip Graham Ryken, a theologian, Bible scholar, writes, both the minister and the church have something to share. Sharing with one another is part of what it means to be spiritual. And um, as we'll learn next week in the following verses after this, the underlining spiritual aspect of this is about reaping what you sow. You reap the benefits of whatever you sow into. Um, Just as John 4 lays out for us, I'm not going to read it, I'll just paraphrase it for you. Basically, Jesus says that the reaper and the sower rejoice together. The reaper and the sower rejoice together. Why? Because the reaper gets, gets to harvest what the sower worked for and labored over, right? Um, And therefore, the reaper, in turn, should share what they've harvested with the sower. And then in doing so, they they get to rejoice together. This is what this verse is all about. Those who are taught the word are harvesting what the sower, the teacher, has labored over. It's only right then that the student shares the benefits of the harvest with the teacher so that the teacher actually sees the fruit of his labor and and can continue to labor. So in doing so, the teacher and the student get to rejoice together. Hopefully you're you're, you're following so far, but let's take a step back now and, and just clarify who Paul's talking about in this verse. So who are those who teach the word and who are those who are taught the word? Who's, who, who's Paul talking about here? You can probably guess, but let's do our due diligence just to make sure. And uh, we'll start with the Greek word for taught. The Greek word for taught that's used in this verse is katecheo, from which we get the English word catechism. Simply put, it refers to any kind of oral or verbal instruction. Okay? So, katecheo, oral or verbal instruction. Secondly, then, most of us should know what the word means, but just in case. Uh, When the New Testament talks about the word, it means the whole truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we we have to remember that they didn't have the Bible like we do today. They didn't have everything compiled like we do today. The New Testament wasn't in existence yet, but rather they had the Old Testament scriptures, and then they had the apostles' testimony of both Jesus' works and the good news of his salvation, right? So that's what they had. And so we can surmise then from, from all of this, you know, verbal instruction of the word, what we can surmise then is that the one who teaches the word here uh, is Paul referring to what we'd today call a pastor or a preacher or even a, an elder in some contexts or a minister, you know, however you want to define it. So basically, one who studies and verbally teaches the Word of God. On that end, as well, I guess you could make the argument that this definition could also include someone like a Bible college 
professor or, or someone like that because they teach the Bible too, right? But in the context of the early Christian community, they didn't have that type of position. So it's, it's unlikely Paul had this in mind when he wrote this verse. And in the same vein, in the New Testament, the, the words pastor and teacher are often used synonymously. Okay, we can also assume then from this verse and other places in the Bible that there were definitely those within each Christian community who were called and were dedicated to the full-time study and teaching of the word. And therefore, in order to fulfill and continue in that role, they must have required the practical and mutual support of those they taught so, so that they could live and eat and, and continue in their position, right? And, and it would make sense then that those who were taught the word in this verse must be a reference to the believers who were part of their flock or church body or the congregation or whatever you want to call it. Basically, in our context today, we could say that he's calling the believers to share in all good things with their pastors. Hence the reason this is awkward to preach about. If you're a guest this morning, I apologize. You're going to leave today being like, man, that pastor was so needy. He just, just talked about himself the whole time. Um, please don't be sketched out. Um, all right. But on, but on that note, on that note, one of the reasons that, that Paul's bringing this up isn't actually for himself. It's not for himself, but rather it's on behalf of those who were called to teach the gospel in Galatia. He's doing it on behalf of them. And that's one of the reasons, too, where I decided to preach about this verse today as well, because this isn't just about, about me, um, but it's on behalf of Pastor Blair and uh, Pastor Brad and any other pastor you might have now or, or any pastor you might have in the future. This is, this is on behalf of them. This is, this is for them as well, that we need to understand how we're to relate to our pastors. Uh, Warren Wearsby who's a theologian and Bible scholar who actually sadly passed away um, a week and a half ago. Um, He wrote this. He said, Because the Apostle Paul did not want money to become a stumbling block to the unsaved, he earned his own living, as we see in 1 Corinthians 9. But he repeatedly taught that the spiritual leader in the church was, was to be supported by the gifts of the people. Jesus said, The laborer is worthy of his hire, and Paul echoed this statement. So it actually wouldn't be shocking if uh, the false teachers who had come to Galatia had caused the community to neglect their support and fellowship with their pastors in, in the same way that they they tricked them to turn against Paul, right? We learned at the beginning of Galatians that they turned against Paul and his teaching. So it wouldn't be surprising if that's happening to those who represented Paul's teaching in Galatia as well. So Paul's reminding them to, first of all, stop supporting these false teachers because they're false teachers. Stop sowing into that. And in the same way, stop neglecting those who were actually called to teach the gospel truth. Anyways, a, a great example of this, this mutually beneficial relationship occurs in Acts 2, 41 to 42, as the early church is, is first starting up. And it says in Acts 2, 41 to 42, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread 
and the prayers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So this is a great example for us of the relationship between those who are devoted to teaching the word and those who are devoted to, to receiving it. In fact, this example of their the devoted fellowship with one another becomes even more poignant and useful for us as we try now to understand what Paul meant when he writes, share all good things. What, what does that even mean to share all good things with your pastors? And I should note here that this is where the interpretation of the verse can go in a couple of different ways, which means that the way we understand it is important. And, and I'll take this opportunity as well to say that if at the end of my message you disagree with my conclusions here, I'm okay with that. That's fine. This verse isn't foundational to our faith and is therefore one of those verses that's, that's open to conversation as long as that conversation is rooted in the Bible and in, and in humble prayer. And yeah, again, you might be suspicious of verses like this, sharing all good things with your pastor, especially when the pastor is, is preaching it. Uh, and, and so you might not like the sound of it. And, and I get that. Again, that's why I wanted to skip it. But that doesn't mean it isn't biblically true, and it doesn't mean that it's not beneficial practically, spiritually, and, and eternally for us. And uh, in, in saying that, the abuse can actually go both ways, right? We're, we're, so, we're always, you know you know, sketched out of our pastors that ask for things. But in, in saying that, the abuse can actually go both ways. Uh, Philip Graham Reichen again writes, it is easy, I'm not experiencing this by the way, but it happens. It is easy for church to abuse their ministers. Some people use the purse strings to control the minister in the church. I've seen that happen. Others try to sanctify their minister by keep, keeping him in a state of relative poverty Still others fail to recognize the importance of a minister's preparation. Perhaps this was true in Galatia. Paul had just finished, ex- finished explaining that everyone should carry his own load. All right then, someone might have said. Let's see the minister get a real job for a change instead of freeloading all the time. But preparing to preach is costly labor. This is a full-time job. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest here too though, speaking from both experience and based on studies and and books that I've read on the subject, people don't often realize this, and and some do, but pastors usually give way more than they receive. They give and they give and they give of of their time, their their energy, their their emotions. It's always on the brain, you know, whether it's in study or, or, or prayer or teaching or finances or counsel or hosting people or, you know, the list goes on. But yet, pastors are human too, right? They're, they're not superheroes. They also have needs and, and emotions and bills to pay and families to provide for and spend time with. They have discouragements and they have temptations and they have struggles. And ultimately, they have a genuine desire to see their calling become fruitful. Just like everyone else, right? They, they, they need support too. And um, ultimately, the reality is that, that pastors who really care carry a great burden of love for their flock. It's, it's not the type of job you can leave at the office. And I'm not, I'm not complaining here. I'm not looking for pity or anything. Not, re- not right now, anyway. <laughs> because it's often a rewarding burden as well, being in ministry. 
But at the same time, it's no surprise that many, many pastors burn out. Um, there's a lot of re- reports and, and stats about this, but I'll read one. A report from the CRC denomination from 2010 stated this. According to James O. Davis, president of Global Pastors Network, 20% of pastors experience serious stress and burnout. And it seems that many of them might be giving a lot and getting little in return. The result is compassion fatigue. And the costs pile up. Decreased performance, stress leave, physical and mental illness, troubled relationships, top the list of devastating outcomes caused by compassion fatigue. Divorce is common, as is early departure from the ministry. With costs like these, Churches can't afford not to look at restoring the reciprocity of pastor-church relationships. In, in, in my life growing up, I've had six pastors that I would have considered influential to me, that I do consider influential to me. The crazy thing is, and the sad thing is, None of them are in ministry anymore, and two of them are divorced. This is an alarmingly growing trend in ministry. Yet people like to joke that a pastor only works two hours a week on a Sunday. I've heard that joke a lot. That's not a funny joke to pastors, by the way, because it's often quite the opposite. Uh, sorry, but I'm not sorry for uh, refusing to sugarcoat this. This isn't fake. <laughs> it's embarrassing. All right, my, my, my personality is such that, that I honestly don't know how to sugarcoat anything. <laughs> I'm a pretty blunt person, and so I, I usually don't say anything because, you know, if I'm going to be blunt about something, if I can't sugarcoat. So when I do say something, it's, it's all in. Um, the reality is that, that if the pastor is suffering from lack of support, they'll suffer in their role as a pastor, their personal life will suffer, and therefore the church suffers too. And this is why Paul's reminding the church that the pastor needs support. This this is why we have a mutual responsibility as the church to share in all good things. God has has specifically called and designed the church body to lovingly and yet voluntarily, not not forced, not, not through pity or whatever, but lovingly and voluntarily be his hands and feet in this. To share all good things with their pastors. Because who else will? And on that note, I'd like to expound on the, on the Greek word that's translated here as share. Let's talk about the word share. You may have, have, have heard this Greek word before, which is the Greek word used here. It's, it's koinonia. Koinonia. And it's a, it's a beautiful word that the early Christian community adopted and used frequently because it carried a, a depth of meaning that reflected how they were called to relate and work with one another. Basically, koinonia means sharing with one another, right? And it also means 
being in partnership together. And it means participating together. And it means being in communion and fellowship with one another. And it means contributing to one another. In this context, it's, it's all-encompassing, right? It's an all-encompassing, supportive, and mutually beneficial bond of fellowship founded on and through the Word of God. So when Paul says, share all good things, he seems to be inferring that those who are taught the Word should make sure that they're in Christ-centered fellowship, that they're in gospel partnership, and that they're taking, taking part in practical participation with the pastor who teaches it to them. And, and the intriguing thing, sometimes a troubling thing, but it's, to me it's more intriguing, uh, that he uses the phrase, all good things. Because it's both vague and yet, again, all-encompassing, right? It isn't, it isn't specific about what we're to share, but yet at the same time as it says we're to share in all, that's good. It uses the word all. Of course, what each person can share or how much of the burden one can help carry will vary based on what God's given them. And so on that end, we've come this far, on that end, let's ask, what are some ways in which the church body can or should be in Koinonia fellowship with their pastors? How How do we share in all that's good? And I have five suggestions. I have five suggestions. Number one, the church shares all good things through devoting themselves to what's being taught. I would say this is the the primary point of this verse. The church shares all good things through devoting themselves to what's being taught. So as you read in Acts 2, the believers devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And so this is a Excuse me, this is a great example of how every time we listen to a sermon taught from the Bible, we, we have fellowship with whoever is preaching. So, so basically what we're doing now, right? We're in fellowship together. We're sharing in what's good together right now as we engage with and, and share in the word together, right? But, but this means that, that while the pastor is fulfilling his burden to teach God's word, that every person in, in the congregation then has the personal responsibility in this regard to expose himself or herself to the teaching of it. Right? I can't force you to do that. So that's, that's your personal responsibility to expose yourself to the teaching of it. And this takes con- concentration and it takes a humble willingness to learn. Practi- practically speaking then, this means preparing yourself, preparing your heart, making an attempt to not just listen but to receive it and, and engage with it. Engage with it. To ultimately allow the word being taught to have its effect on you. In other words, if you're sleeping during the sermon, we're not really in fellowship, are we? But this goes beyond Sunday mornings too, okay? So sharing in the word with your pastor also means taking the responsibility to take what you've been taught with you when you leave those doors and, and take it with you throughout the week in, in, your, in your personal study as, as you reflect on it in, or, or engage with it in spaces like community groups or something and then, and then apply it to your lives. Live it out. Right? We, we share in all that's good 
by, by learning the word together and then taking that good news we've learned to heart and living it out. So that's one way we can share in all that's good with our pastors. Which leads to my next point. Number two, we share in all that's good by sharing our testimonies. As a pastor, I always appreciate, you know, when, when the service is over and someone comes up to me and says, great sermon, Pastor Greg, that was, that was really great. I like that. That's not why I do this, but it's nice. It's encouraging. But even more exciting for me is when people come up to me and say, Pastor, listen to how Jesus is changing my life through his word. That's what it's all about. So so to share in all that's good with the pastor most definitely includes sharing with them all the good things that God is doing in your life. As I said earlier, we we have to share in the harvest with the teacher that sowed so that everyone can rejoice together. I want to rejoice with you and what God's doing in your life. And pastors need to hear these things, especially because generally most of what they hear, to to be frank, is is, uh, our negative things. You know, people's issues and struggles, complaints, criticisms, how so-and-so is in sin. It's all, it's all part of the job, so that's fine. That's definitely part of the job. Don't, don't feel bad about expressing those things to me. But pastors need to hear about the good stuff, too. And, and nothing is, is more encouraging and supportive for a pastor than to hear that God is working within the congregation and that their efforts in ministry are not in vain. So we share in all good things as we share the good things God is doing in our lives. So on to the third point. We share in all that's good through participating in Christ together. We share in all that's good through participating in Christ together. So first of all, this means that we can participate in Christ through stuff like the sacraments and, and, and through living out our new lives in Christ in, in fellowship with one another. So in doing that, we're sharing and what's truly good. For example, when we receive communion, we're going to be receiving communion later. And uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17 says, The cup of blessing that we blessed, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one Bread. So we're sharing in Christ together, the pastor and the congregation. We share in Christ together as we participate in communion together. And, and this can also apply to, to, to other things within the church, like when we worship together, when, when we tithe together, when we pray together. Right? When, when we're sharing in Christ, we're sharing in what's good. We're expressing that koinonia fellowship with one another. But I believe we also participate in Christ as we pursue Christ-centered relationships and fellowship with our pastors as well, as, you know, as we live out our new lives in Christ together, maybe through something like sitting at the table with them over a meal or a coffee or, or whatever. As it says in, in Hebrews, do not fail to meet together. And that's part of what it looks like to participate in Christ, to, to share in what's good. All right, so number four, Point number four, we share in all good things through being in partnership. 
through being in partnership. Philippians 1, 3 to 5 and verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Philippians church. And he says to them, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So the Apostle Paul's rejoicing here because the Philippians had not only received the word he taught them from the first day, but, he had, but they had taken it upon themselves to partner with Paul in his mission as well. So first of all, they, they partnered with him by practically supporting him, standing up for him, having, having grace for him while he was in prison. And secondly, and most importantly, they, they partnered with him by joining in the ministry of advancing and defending the gospel even while he was absent. Right, so this, this is a great example of the way churches can share all good things through, through partnering with their, their pastors. For, for one, they can share their gifts and callings by coming alongside the pastor in the work of the ministry. Whether that's, you know, it could be anything like volunteering on the, on the worship team or just humbly helping wherever, wherever they're needed or using what you've learned to teach in Sunday school or using your spiritual gifts to help serve and build up the church community. So we work with the pastor in the ministry, but most of all, as, as the Philippians modeled, partner, partnering in the gospel means preaching and, and defending the gospel in your own lives outside of the church as well. It always brings great joy to a pastor to see newcomers in the church knowing that it's because the congregation was busy doing their job, advancing the gospel throughout the week. That's, that's partnering together, right? And another, another side note here is that partners are also loyal, right? And, and they faithfully stick up for each other. They're loyal and they're faithful. With that being said, it goes a long way when, when people stick around, when maybe the going gets tough in the church, you know, instead of just piecing out and, and leaving and going to an easier church or something, right? That, that means a lot. That's part of partnering, sticking around, sticking it out. And, and in the same vein, it means a lot. It means a lot when, when the church commits to defending and standing up for their pastors. And that includes supporting their spouses and families as well. Uh, on that note, and I can't speak for other pastors' wives, but I, I want to take this opportunity to mention my wife, who is an amazing mother to our two boys, who works full-time to help us pay the bills and so that we can have health care and that kind of stuff. She still finds the time and energy to give way more than we realize to this church. Through supporting and helping me, hosting community groups, and volunteering, in praying for you, and more. So, so to partner with pastors in the ministry, we have, to, we have to remember, too, that this is also about partnering with their spouses and, and families as well, because they need the support, too, and are often more underappreciated than pastors are. All right, and finally, my last thought is the most awkward, but it's true. 
is that, number five, we share in all that's good with our pastors through giving. We share in all all that's good with our pastors through giving. Again, as I said, a lot of commentators think this is primarily what this verse is about. Um, And I don't think this verse is directly about giving money or whatever, but it is indirectly, at least. Um, Because as it's modeled throughout the New Testament and the early church as well, part of what it means to share all good things and to be in partnership together is through financially supporting the ministry. And don't worry, there's checks and balances in place. The the board decides where the money goes. I don't have any say in that. Don't worry about it. Okay? But to be in partnership together is through financially supporting the ministry. And N.T. Wright He states this, Paul manages to write about money without ever mentioning the word. And he's referring to other verses too, including this one. And he says, clearly the subject was as delicate in his world as it is in ours. The result is the present little paragraph, Galatians 6.6. Like the previous one, it has wider applications, even though its central point is the quite specific one of financing the ministry and life of the church. The natural meaning of this is financial, though gifts in kind are quite appropriate as well. So again, please note that this isn't about making the pastor rich. And on the flip side, neither should giving to the ministry make you poor. Okay? As is modeled in the the Corinthians' attempt to to raise money for the poor churches in Jerusalem, uh, Paul encourages them to give generously in order to help with the Jerusalem ministry and their needs, but not at the detriment of their own needs, he reminds them. Okay, so this is the same in your giving and tithes for the ministry of the church. You shouldn't be going in, in debt to help the ministry or anything like that, okay? You guys have needs too. Uh, in Acts, we see that people gave and supported the apostles' ministry according to what they could give. Some, amazingly and incredibly, sold all they had to support the ministry, but some didn't. There was only a select few that did that, and and there was 3,000 of them, right? So a lot didn't. So give according to what God has given you to give. But the bottom line is that one of the primary ways the church is called to share in what's good with their pastors is through their finances through supporting the ministry. First Timothy five, seventeen to eighteen says, Let the, the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So he's quoting Jesus in that last one. Um, but with that being said, this this isn't just about, you know, throwing a paycheck <laughs> at the pastor, right? Oh, he's got his paycheck. What's his problem, right? Koinonia fellowship goes way deeper than that. It goes way deeper than that, as we've been talking about. So, so the church can also share in all that's good through other ways of giving, through, other, through giving other, other good things as well, like praying for their pastors. I need your prayers. Pastors need the prayers of their churches. Through verbally encouraging their pastors through giving their pastors opportunity and space to rest sometimes. And there are some pastors that need to be forced to do that. I know, I know a few in Lethbridge that need to be forced to, to rest, because they'll just work 
It's not healthy. Um, also through, through giving the pastors honor and, and helping create peace within the church community in order to make their jobs easier and more joyful. As it says in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So this verse isn't commanding cultishly blind submission, don't worry, but rather is, is reminding us that, that pastors are already carrying a big enough burden in, in keeping watch over all our souls, knowing that they'll have to give an account in the face of God. So obviously, obviously it doesn't do any good for anyone if we add to that burden by giving them grief, right? Rather, the church should give honor to their leaders so they can work with joy. And then everyone benefits, right? Um, that is, as long as the pastors aren't abusing their positions and they're actually teaching the word. In conclusion, then, we find that the, the deeper we sow seeds into this kind of fellowship and relationship between the church and the pastor, the more we'll reap in the form of seeing this church body mature and grow in the fruit of the Spirit and Christ-likeness. And on that end, I want to say thank you to this church, to all of you. Because, let's be honest, this message is more of an affirmation and confirmation of what you're already committed to doing. And yet, there's always room for growth, and, and for some, this might be a new concept. But for most of you, you've, you've already been practicing this type of koinonia fellowship with your pastors, with me. So again, I, I want to say thanks. For, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And as Paul said to the Philippians, it brings me great joy to know you're partnering with me in the gospel. And I'm excited for us as we continue to grow in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, for Jesus, our salvation, our freedom. And I thank you that as as we have the opportunity to engage with your word, that we get to be in, in fellowship together in your word. I pray that you would continually teach us what that looks like, what that means, what, what, how we can, we can live and walk in, in the spirit, how we can bear the fruit of the spirit as we, as we engage in, in community with one another. Lord, I thank you so much for this church body, for each person in the room this morning, Lord. Pray that you would you would bless them and you would go with them this morning. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.